Welcome to Erudite, the podcast, where we give undergraduate researchers a seat at the table. My name is Chris Boyd, mechanical engineering student and your host. Join me in meeting budding scientists across the nation to discuss their work, how they got there, and how you can do it too. Welcome back, everyone. So today I have with me Jacob Ancre, and we're going to be talking about his research. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe some educational background, and then what your research was on. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, so I'm a junior student at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute right now. I'm studying in biomedical engineering with a concentration in biomaterials. And somehow this brought me to the Bermuda Institute of Ocean Sciences for the fall, where I worked alongside an environmental chemist. Uh, and our project was to essentially develop a, a new method for quantifying microplastic concentrations in air samples, in aerosol samples. And so how I got down there is actually through a National Science Foundation grant. They have a program called Research Experience for Undergraduates, uh, or REU for short. And so I was an REU intern, along with seven other, uh, we could call them colleagues, and now good friends from across the United States. And we each went down there, had our own individual research project, our own mentors who are associate scientists at uh, BIOS, at the Bermuda Institute of Ocean Sciences. And we spent 12 weeks down there going through the whole research process. And so we were essentially guided through it. But the actual conducting of the research was pretty independent uh, in, in its sense. And so we uh, were basically taught how to go through our literature reviews, gain an understanding of this new topic, which we were being introduced to for our projects. And then, okay, what's our experimental design? How are we going to figure this stuff out? And, you know, let's do it. And so uh, we had uh, help and guidance throughout the way the whole time. But we really got to, you know, kind of play researcher and, and play grown up and uh, go off on this thing on our own. And so it ended up being an incredible experience. Uh, like I said, biomedical engineer working with uh, an environmental chemist studying airborne microplastic concentrations. And, uh, you know, it, it actually still opened my eyes a lot. And I would say that 100% aligned with my career still just because it gave me such a great opening into the field of research. So. <laughs> I was originally going to ask why uh, biomaterials, but I think you kind of already covered it. And I'm assuming this is not necessarily something that was on your original uh, career plan. Am I correct? No, no, no. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, and this is actually can be kind of a funny story. So we get down there and our first week is uh, kind of like an introduction. Um, we had to quarantine for a few days and then we were in our own little bubble, essentially. Um, and so we get down there and we have a few workshops and uh, the researchers there, they're giving us their talks and they're saying, you know, we're so happy uh, because we could see that this group of students, like you group of students, you were really passionate about the research. You wanted to get down here for the research. And sometimes in the application when it's, oh, why do you want to come and do, why do you want to come and study here? Why do you want to come and work here? It's, oh, I just want to go to Bermuda. And uh, I'm, at that point, I start to kind of slide down my chair because I got the email uh, from RPI. RPI actually did a nice job. They forwarded me 
an email with the career opportunity. I saw Bermuda and I said, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going. <laughs> and so, uh, of course, through like looking uh, through that the application, I was forced to build an interest, of course. And uh, I was able to seriously immerse myself in it. But um, yeah, it, it was more so uh, because I had RPI's arch. And so for those of you who don't know, uh, at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, all junior students, uh, you take a full semester in the summer, and then you have basically every choice of either taking the fall or the spring off. Uh, and the goal of this is to get an internship, do an independent learning experience, you know, go travel somewhere, go learn a language, et cetera. And so I was going to have one of my two semesters off, and I was looking to fill that with you know, a valuable experience. And I, I enjoyed traveling and I was, you know, getting stuck up in my room. And so I see an opportunity for Bermuda. And like, I'll be honest, that relatively shallow reason is, is why I got down there. If, if I had known all that, uh, you know, would come out of it, I would have been maybe even a little overwhelmed by that application, by that opportunity, uh, because of how incredible it turned out to be. But, but when that time came, it was more so, you know, I'm busy with classes, I'm doing all of this other stuff. I hadn't really had time to look for other opportunities. I wasn't applying to too many places. And I saw that and said, yeah, okay, I'll do this. And, uh, and it ended up being the best thing. But So if you don't mind, can you go a little bit into what uh, you actually researched? I'm not too familiar with the topic, but I'm assuming it's like, uh, studying like either plastics that are in the air or I, I could be totally wrong. So like, feel free to let me know. <laughs> no, no, you're good, Chris. Um, so I'll first say that at BIOS, uh, it was, it, it's an oceanographic uh, institute. And so the other REU interns, my colleagues, a lot of them were marine biology, uh, fisheries management, et cetera. And so their projects all kind of revolved around the ocean. Even there were two other students, because um, I was a biomedical engineer, so I was kind of a sore thumb, and there were two more of us there. So within BIOS, there was the air quality department. That's essentially where I did my work. And my mentor, uh, Dr. Andrew Peters, was the head of that air quality department. And he had a lab technician, Dan Dickinson, who I ended up actually being able to work alongside quite a bit. Um, and so essentially, through this air quality department, they had been collecting aerosol samples and i'll explain what that is in just a second for the past 17 years by the time i got there and it's still ongoing now uh you know through hurricanes through pandemics they keep it up and running and so they had a lot of samples and what these aerosol samples are is you know basically just a paper sample that you take and it filters the air the air is going to go right through it, but you're going to hold behind any contaminants and so from there they have the opportunity to look and say okay what's in the air that's coming to Bermuda because where the sampling site was located was actually at the Tudor Hill Marine Observatory. This site, Tudor Hill, was at the pretty much the most western point of the island and it collected only onshore winds. And so in brief, basically any uh, air which was being sampled through here, any contaminants which were being held could be assumed to have been coming clean off the ocean for you know hundreds of miles and so basically it's avoiding all local pollution you know you're not getting uh car exhaust fumes in your samples 
you're getting some stuff that has traveled seriously far to get there. And so, so some past research had identified the chemical Nile red as possibly being able to identify microplastics in samples. And this had been tested in uh, marine and terrestrial samples, but not yet to aerosol ones, aerosol being from the air. So how this Nile red chemical works is essentially you mix it with a specific sets, set of solvents and solutes and you know different researchers would play around with the different concentrations and are you mixing with acetone methanol etc and when you basically soaked the microplastics in this nile red solution let them incubate for a period of time and then looked at them with fluorescence microscopy the microplastics would actually illuminate and so in essence, my project was the development of a method translatable to aerosol samples to use this Nile Red chemical solution so that we could easily identify microplastics. As it went, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these and some of these are getting down to being just a few microns large. And that's way past the point of being able to visually identify these. I, I really couldn't visually identify a single one of these uh you know nile red identified microplastics with with my eyes and so but through here i could go through uh work through a set of procedures on the microscope to determine okay what is what isn't because of course there's going to be some noise in there also there's going to be some things that are lighting up which you can tell are not microplastics and so i developed uh, kind of the microscopy procedure for determining what is and what isn't. And so with our project, of course, we're trying to do this. Uh, we're trying to identify microplastics from aerosol samples. But there are a couple, one of the reasons why uh, there hadn't been much work done in aerosol samples, because studying the atmosphere is a lot tougher than studying the physical things that you can hold. You know, it's much easier to go out and collect a dirt sample. Uh, it's much much easier to see visually and to apply techniques to water, but um, there are a lot more logistical difficulties that come with studying the atmosphere. To couple this with being in a pandemic in the middle and in the middle of the Atlantic, we really had to kind of work with what we were given, and so that Nile Red chemical uh, that we were kind of relying on for our project. For example, that ended up coming in about halfway through my three-month experience. I ended up getting an extra month added on so that we could actually, you know, do a little more research. But oh yeah, I spent gosh. the first month and a half there doing, uh, you know, it, it was a very valuable time. And I'm grateful for it because I got to go and spend more time with Dan Dickinson and, and working on uh, a lot of the equipment, really learn the process front to back from his end. But I wasn't able to conduct the research for quite a bit. And similarly, we didn't have a whole lot of time or resources to do a full and proper R&D to, to develop this. And so what it came down to was an extensive literature review, doing a couple of cross analyses, making some hypotheses and then hypotheses off of those hypotheses to try and predict what would happen and what would work. And so that's what we did in terms of the specific solvents that we used with the Nile Red and then the actual microscopy settings too. 
And even as it stands now, uh, I was able to identify, we were able to identify fluorescent particles on these aerosol samples. But this is just through fluorescent microscopy. So we don't actually know the chemical makeup of what was illuminating. And so for all we know, it could be pollen. It could be, you know, I, I dropped the hair on the, on the filter when, when we were collecting. And of course, we took a lot of safety precautions to make sure that that didn't happen. But again, it's, it's a lot of, okay, because of this, we think this will happen. Because we think this will happen, we think we can do this. And so a lot of assumptions had to be made how we planned to kind of confirm this was through a Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy, FTIR spectroscopy, which essentially, uh, in brief, runs a mathematical formula over uh, or uses a mathematical formula to take uh, respondent waves emitted and received from a source and to transform that into kind of a, a, a chemical signature. And so from there, we were supposed to, or we're going to send our samples to an FTIR lab. They were going to run it and say, okay, this, this thing right here, you thought that this was, you know, a nice piece of plastic, this is pollen. Or they might say, you know, we actually found a couple pieces of plastic on here, but it didn't fluoresce. And so that's how we were supposed to do the verification process of of the experiment which of course just because of the logistics uh and, and i mean we wanted to we were looking into okay can we get an ftir uh microscopy for ourselves? 200 grand okay i i think we're gonna send it off to the lab instead and so again i mean i i feel like through me talking about this it kind of comes off as just super brag tag and and unscientific, but I feel like it really gave a great perspective into, you know, science is messy and you have to play with the cards that you're dealt and science doesn't stop because, you know, you've got thrown a curveball. And so we really had to try and adapt and make do with what we had. And in the end, I think that it turned out very well, actually. And of course, we'll see after we get verification from the FTIR spectroscopy lab. but. Um, but yeah, I think <laughs> I talked for a while. Uh, let me know if you didn't understand anything about uh, the question that you asked about what my research was. But You answered uh, really well, and I actually understand a lot. And I'm glad that you also brought up like the point where you weren't able to even do some of the research like physically just because you didn't have the actual tools. And I think, well, from my own experience, not only like working in labs at school, but I think like in general, most people think that they're going to get a cookie cutter experience where everything's going to work out. And like, obviously, as you just stated, like research isn't always going to be nice and neat and put there for you. Like you're going to have to get creative, um, especially as engineers, like that's part of our job is to figure out and fix problems. And it's not always going to be the same as everyone else. So I'm glad you kind of shared that a little bit. And also, coming from the fact this isn't necessarily within your field of study, uh, the next question I was actually going to ask you was, um, did you have a tough time kind of having to learn about basically a new field or kind of something you weren't necessarily into before? Like, what was that process like? Because um, I feel like a lot of people go into research, right, and they don't necessarily know anything about their topic. 
Uh huh. Yeah. And it, it prepared me quite well, actually. Um, you know, one of the classes I'm taking this semester, we read a lot of research papers and it's on topics that are way above my head, but I've been through this before. I know how to work this and, and it seriously prepared me for it. And if you're going in and if you, uh, you know, you're a sophomore undergraduate student and you're interested in working with this brilliant professor and you just took his introductory course, you're going to be reading his research papers and you're not going to understand a single thing. And you're going to be looking up every single term, but you're going to work through it and you're going to struggle through it. And by the end, you know, you're going to be pretty confident. You might not be able to, you know, know your way around every little aspect of his laboratory, but you're going to be able to handle your research and slowly be able to kind of get more involved in uh, some critical thinking within the experimental design process within kind of the post-experimenting analysis. And that's the research process as an undergraduate. You have to, you know, there's being acclimated with a subject and then there's being acclimated with research itself. And I feel like that really goes hand in hand. And so for me, I had never really been introduced to research very much. I'd been introduced to research procedures, of course, through my lab courses at RBI, which prepared us really well for some of these lab procedures. But in terms of, you know, that full, like, day one to the end, I really had no clue about what to do in the middle. So I will say that uh, Dan Dickinson, the lab tech, and Dr. Andrew Peters helped me out quite a bit there. Also being surrounded by a bunch of, like, Chris, I'm serious, some very impressive people were my colleagues. Like, these interns coming in, they had so many impressive experiences. They were balancing so much. and some of them had been through research before, some of them hadn't, and we were all figuring it out uh, together. And I got a lot of help from them. But basically, um, yeah, you start off with this literature review, and I got sent dozens of papers, maybe not dozens, but I got sent quite a few, at least a dozen papers by my mentor, uh, Dr. Peters. And he's just, yeah, you have any questions, let me know. And at first I had no questions because I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I understand this. No, I think I get it. And then you start to understand it a little bit and then you start getting a lot of questions and then you're able to have a conversation with him about that. He's able to help me guide me through it, help me see different perspectives. Like before it's, oh, they did this. Okay. I understand it. They did this. And then it becomes, well, they did this for because of this and because of this and because of this and they were expecting us to offshoot that. And so it was a very, it took maybe two weeks for me to become, uh, I'd say basically competent. Like for talking like language, I was nearly proficient after two weeks. I, I was lucky that I had another uh, month basically before the research began. Cause like I said, the research was a lot of understand like every little bit about this research that you can, you know, essentially do an RED in your head and envision what's going <clears throat> and envision what's going to happen. But yeah, that literature review was tough. And then also through this program that BIOS offered, uh, the REU program that they hosted, they were really, really good. They had us doing quite a bit. So we had workshops. Um, every Friday 
unless of course we were going on a field trip for we going snorkeling or, or I didn't have my scuba diving uh, license, but there were a couple of my colleagues that didn't. So they would be able to go scuba diving while I kind of snorkeled at the top. <laughs> and, uh, and so when we weren't going on a field trip, we had these uh, professional and scientific workshops, which kind of, you know, how do you do a data analysis? What tools are you going to use? How do you read a research paper? Like, let's walk through that. And then another great thing that we did, which I'm seriously grateful for, is uh, we put on a, a number of presentations, actually. We had an introductory presentation, uh, presentation on our methods, and our final presentation at the culmination of the internship. And each one of these was seriously in progression. And so through this also, we kind of got, you know, you have to really understand your your research to explain it well and then you're going to be taking some questions on it and these questions aren't coming from you know people my age who don't really know about it these are coming from the associate scientists at this uh you know private institution and they know their stuff and so uh but of course they're just trying to help you also to figure it out and like oh have you considered this for your for your research and I, I think I definitely went a little off track with your que question, Chris, but to sum it up, really, it was being in a great environment, um, asking a lot of questions, not being afraid to admit that you know absolutely nothing, um, and you know just struggle through it, right? Like, read the research paper, take a breather, read it again. Okay, take the night off, read it again in the morning. And... Um, you know, through that, like now I actually feel like pretty confident about like after working with microplastics for four months and being seriously immersed in the topic, I feel pretty confident having, you know, a high level scientific conversation with it with, you know, pretty much anybody. And so uh, I won't be afraid to admit to somebody way above me that, oh, I have no clue what you're talking about, but I feel like I know enough to know that I know nothing. I feel like that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Because <laughs> I, I, I definitely have had that because I've, I've done my own research before, and there are times where, like, I'll be reading a paper and I'll ask a professor to clarify something, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, it's just this and that," and I'm like, "Okay, those are new things for me to learn." All right, I'll get back to you in a week. <laughs> um, but as far as that project, is it still ongoing? Like, are you still involved with it, or have you kind of moved on from it, or? I've moved on from it a bit, um, you know, taking classes now. I, I have uh, a good one on my plate, but I still keep in touch with uh, both Dan and Andrew. Uh, Andrew's been a great reference for me for a number of job applications since then. Super willing and open. Dan was helping me quite a bit during that actual research process. And, you know, we got to spend a lot of time together. So we're still good buddies. Um, so once I left BIOS, uh, there was some miscellaneous tasks that I kind of took on. And also it was the first study using these 17 year, the 17 year sample. And so like, let me tell you, Chris, when this sample was unorganized, like it, it was a mess. And so I, I had a month and a half of like a little slower pace than the rest of my colleagues who are, you know, doing the research, like fully into it. And it's like, okay, Jake, let's, let's clean this up a bit. And so um <clears throat> there was a bit of 
the housekeeping tasks, I'll say, which uh, I hadn't quite finished by the time I left because once the research started, like we were going with it, we were running with it. And so I wasn't really too worried about like organizing this spreadsheet, finishing this. So a lot of the stuff in my last week there, I went and I closed down everything that I could in person. And if it was something that I could do on my laptop, then I prepared it however I could and I'd left it. And once I got back home, I was able to sit down and do the rest of the work on the laptop, you know, input this information here, uh, spread around this spreadsheet, kind of do a minor data analysis through the spreadsheets provided. And then I would send that information back off to Dan. And so at this point, I keep up with, you know, I'm, I'm very curious and very interested in keeping up with it. Um, I was able to train uh, a Bermidian college student while I was there uh, in my last week. And so he actually is going to be, you know, picking up pretty much r right where I left off. Um, I don't think I mentioned before, but um, once we got through with, so we were able to do a bit of R&D, right? So we ran some positive controls. We, you know, shaved off some, like, like here's a water bottle. All right, let's shave it off with sandpaper, collect the dust, throw it on a sample, and see if it lights up. Things of that sort. Uh, a little more scientific than that, but basically. And so we were able to do a bit of an R&D. Uh, once we were satisfied, okay, this is working. Uh, we think this is working. Then we started testing uh, actual field samples. I only got through, you know, maybe a dozen of those in my time, and they're collected weekly, uh, weekly for 17 years. So not very many I got through, but I got started. And, uh, and then that's when I trained Osei, the Bermidian college student, uh, to pick up, the, pick up the program shortly after Bermuda went into quarantine. And so he wasn't able to work on it for quite a bit of time. But I think now he might actually be doing it. But regardless, uh, Andrew's going to be looking for interns in the future who will hopefully pick right up. And hopefully they'll find flaws in the method that I thought I developed well. And they'll be able to improve upon it and, you know, keep it going. Because I think this research could be, you know, very significant. Um, we're talking about, like, microplastics in the air that have traveled for you know, I'm not going to put a number on it, but it has to be pretty significant to reach this island in the middle of the Atlantic when it's only collected from onshore winds at the westernmost point. So it's not nothing local. Everything's traveled quite quite a distance. And so uh, what this could tell us is a bit about the nature of mic microplastics in the atmosphere in terms of their long-term travel. Uh, and and a lot of things of that sort but i think the research could be very uh interesting the results could be seriously helpful for a lot of things going on and and so i will be keeping up with it for sure but uh in terms of being hands-on i've submitted everything i've posted the training videos uh to help kind of the next round of interns get in there and pick right uh pick right up where i left off in terms of uh a reproducible experimenting process but um you know now i'm kind of uh just a fly on the wall i think oh, what's next for you like are you still doing more research or are you going to be doing an internship that's a great idea chris i wish i could tell you <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I mean, I have, after the semester, I've got a year left. And I'm honestly very open-minded at this point because I haven't yet been introduced to something which I've been able to kind of cross off the list. It's everything that I get introduced to. Yeah, this is, you know, I could do this. And so I am looking for internships, uh, for co-op opportunities, for anything really where I can just learn and, and try and figure it out. You know, I, I still am very curious to see how I have a lot of friends in biomed engineering who go more commercial with them, uh, more the commercial route as opposed to the research route. And originally, I thought that was definitely what I wanted to do. So I would love an opportunity where I could test that, see if I enjoy the commercial side. But um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, I suppose. I think, and I, I mean, I think most people are right there, too, because not everyone knows what they're going to be doing, especially even like two months from now, right? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, to close us off, what is some uh, piece of advice you would either give or like a piece of advice that you found extremely helpful when you first got into your research position for other students who may be looking at research? That's a very good question. I learned quite a bit during that time. Um, I can, you know, so far in my life, break it up into two main categories. There's the long history of Jacob before Bermuda, and there's this new clean Jacob after Bermuda. Uh, it really had a very profound impact on the way that I conduct myself, the way that I apply myself. Like, to be honest, I wasn't very motivated beforehand. Um, I had this long-term idea of what I wanted to do, but, you know, um, in terms of the day-to-day, -day, there's always tomorrow. And so... Uh, I let myself slack in quite a bit of places because I just didn't think there was a rush. Being surrounded by so many, not only motivated, but brilliant people, genuine people, some of the nicest I've ever met, it was very inspiring. And, you know, I'm down there and one of the girls, uh, Shannon Lemieux, she's a professional dancer who took off dance, of course, because uh, the pandemic kind of closed down L.A., and she also pursues a major uh, at an online university at the University of Oregon. Uh, and while we're down there working her internship, she's taking classes. And then she's also pushing herself and she's learning Python. And, uh, you know, some of my other friends there, like this girl, uh, Natalia Padillo Antimiras, is managing a number of clubs at her school while she's out in Bermuda. And these people were, you know, very on top of their stuff. And so being surrounded by them for such a period of time is, was inspiring. And so uh, I, I suppose, you know, not everybody, one of the reasons why I wanted to get into Erudite was to give back and hopefully, you know, uh, convey some of this because not everybody's going to be able to have uh, a Bermuda moment like I was lucky enough to have, like I was blessed enough to have. but. The takeaways, I hope everybody can, you know, kind of apply. And even if it's for only a short bit of time, give it a test run. See if you like it, you know, see if you like it. Uh, but I, I think it would be in a line, anything that you do, do with all your heart. Um, don't, you know, you're not, you're not there to be half there. If you're there, do it 100%, be in the moment and make the most of it.
um, you know, you have a finite amount of time. That time is ever fleeting. And so I think the best way to live is to, uh, one, wake up every day as if you've never done, done anything before in your life. And so you've got something to prove. And two, just try and live every moment uh, in the most meaningful way that you know how. Those have probably been the biggest changes in my life since that experience, inspired by that experience, by being immersed in that super interesting research surrounded by very inspiring people who, you know, have indirectly, and they'll claim that, oh, no, it was all you, but they pushed me to take kind of take responsibility for myself, you know, and apply myself to my studies, apply myself to my extracurricular happenings and pursue what I want to pursue. And so not everybody has that opportunity. I think everybody will in one way or another, but regardless, hopefully uh, they can figure it out before I did. And, uh, and I think that would just be my overall message. And in terms of, uh, you know, people might be keeping in mind, like, oh, I, I, an opportunity will come up and they'll say, oh, I don't want to take this because I'm looking for an opportunity that's going to change my life. I'm looking for my Bermuda. You know, I went to Bermuda to sit on the beach and you never know, uh, you know, what's going to be hidden behind the walls of each of these opportunities. And so if you don't have anything better than taken, you know, it's, that opportunity is being presented to you for a reason. And so, again, if you apply yourself fully to that opportunity, you will get something extraordinary out of it. And um, <laughs> I think that's about it. <laughs> well, and that's all that's needed to be said. So with that, thank you so much, Jacob. That was actually very eye-opening, one, and very inspiring, too. So, again, thank you. I hope that we all do get our Bermuda moment. This was really nice, Chris. Thank you for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to submit research, join the team, or even be a part of the podcast, you can find all that information on our website on eruditenerge.org. That's E-R-U-D-I-T-E-N-U-R-J.org. Don't forget to give us a like or follow on our social media at Erudite Nerge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Links to all of those can be found in the description below. Remember, we're here to help. Don't ever be afraid to get your work out there because if they can do it, so can you. Be back next time for another episode of Erudite, the podcast. Mm-hmm.